Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back to A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig. This is episode 39 of A Pod of Their Own, and I am joined this week, as usual, by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Sarovich. Hi, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wiggin. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Allison. We are also joined this week by friend of the pod, recurring guest co-host, you guys know her and love her, moderator at Amazing Avenue, Kellyanne Healy. Hi, Kellyanne. Hello, Allison. Hello, Maggie. And hello, Linda. And thank you for having me back again. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm banging everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're very happy to have um, Kellyanne on the show. We mostly have Kellyanne on the show because she is our resident um, literary correspondent. And as you guys know, this is our book pod this week. So in the second half of the show, we'll be talking about Baseball Maverick. Um, the book about Sandy Alderson's tenure as general manager of the Mets. Um, but in the meantime, we will do um, a brief Mets segment. Um, 
because spring training games have begun, which I guess is probably the most important Mets news. Yay! So, yeah, there is actual, like, baseball happening. I haven't seen a single... Oh, no, that's not true. I watched a little bit of it on Sunday. I did watch some of it on Sunday. Um, I watched Franklin Kilome look not so good, <laughs> if I recall. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, games are happening. They don't count. It's... It's kind of nice to watch spring training because it's like kind of like getting to enjoy baseball in a stress-free way, which is like nice. <laughs> it kind of it it, yeah. it warms you up to caring. Yes. You're like, "Oh, yes, baseball's back. This is awesome and there's no pressure. That's great." And then you just start to like, "All right, I'm I think I'm ready to care." Yeah. Wait, it's is it time. Just me? Let's care. I very much care. Like, <laughs> but you don't care no, I care. Are you, are you like scoreboard watching? <laughs> yes. Oh, I am Nationals. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm just scoreboard watching. But like, I know for me personally, just that first game where I'm hearing Gary, Keith, and Ron yeah. again, uh, just oh, I, I and care deeply about that. Their skill, but because they always make it, they make it hilarious when because spring training games can get like pretty boring pretty fast Mm -hmm. sometimes um especially like early on when you're going through all the minor league players who aren't going to make the major league roster you're kind of like yeah i want to pay attention to them but also uh Uh, the most boring spring training game in the history of the world occurred on march 22nd 2017 and i know because i was in labor during it oh god I just, and I was like, oh, yes, there's baseball on. Something to, like, distract me. Like, I'd had the epidural. It was just sort of like, now I'm going to be awkward and uncomfortable for the next eight hours, and then there'll be a baby. And I was like, yes, baseball, perfect, just what I need. And I'm watching, I'm like, this is awful. This is <laughs> so bad. Like, like it was just, it was one of those high-scoring affairs. Like, nobody looked good. The I mean, parade of middle perfect. relievers was endless. They're working on specific things that maybe, like, we lay people are not necessarily aware of. So we're like, oh, my God, this is so bad. But they're, like, working on, like, the pitchers are working on, maybe they're working on the changeup for the day. Or maybe they're working on their fastball. Or I was working on stuff, too. I needed a good baseball (laughs) game. They didn't give it to me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But... But it, like, if they're working like on a specific thing, and it's not like, oh, we're, I have to, we have to pitch against the 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 potent lineup of the Dodgers, and this is like a, a must win game. No, it's it's not like that at this point in time. Yeah, but like nice. they bought Fam in the other day, and he got two quick outs. He's like, okay, Fam back, and then he put two guys on. I'm like, oh no, the familiar experience is on. <laughs> oh, we got through two outs. Oh, no, Here we he's go. really back. Familia's really back now. I think I'm getting flashbacks. I'm getting flashbacks. And not to be the like Debbie Downer in the conversation, but part of this podcast is being honest about our feelings. Be honest about your feelings, friends. I I think that this year in particular, my spring training caring is dulled significantly by events in baseball as a whole. Um, the whole like Astros like cheating scandal, I didn't think it would have as much of an impact on my caring about baseball being back as it has, but it really has. Like, I mm. like, I was like, ugh. Like, I think I will care. Like, I will get really excited and happy again once a the Mets are like actually playing real games that count, 
and B, once like the Astros are no longer like dominating the storyline. But right now, there it's still kind of that overlap where like games are happening, but the off season like storylines and narratives haven't died off yet and haven't been dulled by baseball yet. So like, I just feel so like cynical about the the sport right now that it's like dulling my caring, and I hate it. I hate it. It's making me upset. See, I'm the opposite because this is the first time the Astros have to play in front of fans. So that's making me more intrigued to see what the reaction's going to be. And so far, it's been pretty bad. Like, they've been booed. Altuve got booed. Like, even the players that had nothing to do with it. Like, their whole, like, minor league squad was in the other day. And they all got booed. Orbit yeah, got booed. Yeah, feel kind of bad. Because, like, yeah. it's not they're, their yeah, fault. They're going to get whacked all year long. Yeah. And I think that's something that we need to be, like, prepared for. Uh, like as baseball fans, be prepared for. Because that's going to that's gonna be something that sticks with them all year long. And, and especially if they do well it's just like oh are they doing well because maybe they found another way to cheat and like Mm -hmm. I hate saying that because especially since like the 2017 Astros that was like such a a team I was so excited to root for because Hurricane Harvey had just happened and like there were just so many feel-good storylines around the Astros at that point and to just kind of have that marred that, that and I think that's really the whole thing is that it was such a positive team in 2017 and oh gosh no it actually really wasn't they were cheating the entire time yeah which that's and that's going to take a while for people to get over and they were well, so, think- they've been unrepentant in their response yeah. too which has made the whole thing worse like they like really don't seem to give a shit Safe for Jake Marisnik, but he's not on the team anymore. So right. he's yeah. with the Mets. But he's, I would say his is the only apology from someone who was like embedded in it and kind of had like more of a veteran ridden presence, like say, uh, say then JD Davis, who was a rookie who was there for not very long at all. I don't remember how long he was there for, but he's the only one that's given like a solid, oh, I'm ashamed of this. I feel bad about this. It was wrong. He's the only one that's kind of said that. You know what I mean? There's a couple other former Astros. Who's on the Twins now? I think he said something. I don't know. See, I've only I've only honestly been paying attention to like the Mets players that have been Astros or the Mets like connections with the Astros just due no, to pretty, life issues and whatnot. But pretty much every former Astro on another team has apologized and no current Astro has. I've been kind of watching. <laughs> oh jeez. Yikes. Just yikes. But yeah. That's to say. I don't know. Oh. In an effort to kind of drum up my excitement about spring training, I was kind of trying to think of like, and I know that we do this on Amazing Avenue every year on the site, and I think that we might run it again this year, but people haven't like coalesced to to organize it yet, but it still might happen. Um, People uh, do their uh, bold predictions every year. Uh, Like the, the beat writers do this too, where they like, come up with their bold predictions for uh, for the team for the coming season. And I had made like an impromptu bold prediction on the pod last time that I thought that Yoannis Cespedes was going to get more, like was going to be healthier than Jed Lowry and was going to be worth more as far as war than Jed Lowry. That doesn't really feel like a bold prediction anymore. It seems kind of inevitable now. Um, so I feel like I should do a new one. But do any of the three of you have like some bold hot takes about just predictions to share? I'm going to go with... 
I think Strowman's going to have a big year. Yeah, I sense um, that also. I think the I'm Mets say Str- I'm gonna. I'll, I'll just say Strowman's going to be the Mets' best pitcher. Ooh, Damn, better than that, just, that did get bold. Like that, one A, one B. But how dare you? I know. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jake. Jake like, like Jake, like bad for Jake will be like a two ten ERA, and like Strowman will have like a two oh nine. Cool. <laughs> I can dig it. Okay. Um, I think the Mets bullpen will be good. <gasps> whoa, 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 Meg! I whoa. don't believe you, Maggie. Look, no. I got my hometown boy. Is it Batances is in that bullpen, and I think I think he's gonna he's gonna help anchor it. I think it's gonna be. I, look, we're talking bold predictions, right? Yes. If I went yes. out there and said the bullpen's gonna be terrible, that wouldn't be very bold. So this is my yeah. bold. This is my my choice. Who's gonna be their closer? Eh, somebody. They'll figure it out. <laughs> so you had to, it had to be bold. It didn't have to be specific. Okay. <laughs> Kellyanne, how about you? Um, I have like 15 I'm thinking of right now. Um, okay. So I'll start with Jacob. Jacob will win his third Cy Young. Hell yeah. Uh, is that bold? Is that bold? I think it is bold. Three is really, it's really hard. Bold. It's, it's, it's hard to I do th- three in a row. It's hard to do three in a row. It is hard to do. Has uh, Scherzer's done three in a row, right? He's no. the only no, one. No, I think he did three. No, he hasn't? Okay. He did three he just in like four three years, three I think. In a row. I feel like someone has three in a row. Or I maybe I'm just crazy. Randy Johnson had four in a row. Randy Johnson, yeah. And I think Maddox did it? Yes. But I think that's it. Okay. But so, yes. Yeah, so Sorry, I'm going to go with. Jake's going to win third Cy Young in a row. He will start the All-Star game, finally. Um, The Mets starting rotation will have the best overall ERA in baseball, both National and American League. Damn. Jeff McNeil is going to win the batting title, and the Mets will win 95 games. Wow. I'm going crazy here tonight. really bold. Yes. (laughs) I could get behind that, though. Mm Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, and the Mets will have wait, and I will make one more. And the Mets will have at least four All Stars this year. Oh hell yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, well, and, obviously and, Strowman, Jake, McNeil, and Pete. There you go. See, oh, I was yeah. gonna say, I was gonna say Degrom, Alonzo, McNeil, and JD Davis. Oh, JD, I'm gonna shout out to your man's Linda. Thank you. That makes me so happy. <laughs> Hopefully your shoulder right. is okay. So, yeah. So I'll just build on my bold prediction because before I said that Cespedes was going to, like, have, like, more value than Jed Lowry. I don't feel like that's bold anymore. I feel like that's probably the more likely scenario. But I'll, I'll go bolder and say, because before I had said, and I think Cespedes will accrue more than one war. I'll go bolder and say I think Cespedes will accrue more than two war. All right, I can. I can also. I can. Sorry, I can. I can. A get behind that, and B. I'm also going to add Cespedes will win comeback player of the year. I'm just being super positive about the mess right now. I don't know why. Cespedes, Edwin Diaz, Dylan Batanzas, three-headed comeback player of the year. Oh hell yeah! I would also um, like to see Cespedes uh, bring back 
his song. Yeah, was it? Yes. It was just called Lion like Potencia, right? No, 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 not that one. The one that he had like written for him. Oh yes, the La Potencia yes, song. Got oh, yes. the power. Yes. Got oh, the I want the neon sleeves. That's the bird. I want everything back. I want him back. I want his music back. I want the sleeves back. I want the rally parakeet back. I just want the energy that he brought to this team back. Because yeah. you people have opinions on Cespedes, yes. Especially the silly beat writers. But he brought an energy and a positivity and just a joy to the clubhouse in 2015 and 2016, in my opinion, that has... I don't want to say has been missing, but it it's been it's been a different dynamic without him for sure. Well, but if I'm you glad ask- you said clubhouse because pretty much the media narrative is oh he's a bad teammate, he's a bad the- influence, his antics cause problems. Find me one instance, one instance of a player complaining about him or saying he's a distraction. Find me a player going on the record saying that and not a media-driven narrative. And I bet you nobody can find a single instance of that happening because it's not true. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not a problem. And, no. and I can prove it. He, he didn't play for how long? Two years? A year? And he was there. He showed up at David Wright's last game after not playing. And he barely was a teammate of David Wright considering both of their injuries. And yet yeah. he was there at City Field to say goodbye and to you know honor david wright and what he's meant to this organization and may i add when he was shown on the big screen everybody in that stadium cheered yes so i was like i want to say it's the vocal minority that buys into you know cespedes is a team problem and it's not what the majority think well we also know he's not really a team problem because they can't come up with anything actually problematic to write like They, every so other like, like you know um they're you know, tri- they're Harvey tri- Harvey you know w- refused to to play to pitch out of the bullpen or like you know I mean even Jose Reyes was like you know bitching about playing time but like all they can come up with for Cespedes is like oh no he messed with a boar on his on his property oh he has lots of cars humiliating and embarrassing and it's just like he's working on his farm and but if he was if he was a problem in that clubhouse they would have there would have been more stories about it they would they would love to tell those stories if they could come across any of them but they can't because he's obviously not a problem in the clubhouse right and what the problem is is whenever they wrote about him it was always tied to his salary like they were like implying he's stealing money because he was hurt in earning this money. Like, yeah. there was no need to always in- say in the same breath, Yolanda Cespedes, who's making $29 million this year, is sitting on the bench. There's no need to say that. And, pretty- and there was two beat writers who were very good at pointing that out every single time. And, th- th- like, what are you gaining by pointing that out? We know. And do you think he feels good about that? No. Yeah. Well, and, he's like, not getting paid $29 million dollars anymore, so exactly. there you yeah. go. Exactly. And that's the thing is like, and that's how you know that they've like ceased to argue in good faith, not that they ever were to begin with. But like, that's how you know that these are bad faith arguments, because well, the, the latest in case in case our listeners are uh, 
are not caught up on this whole situation. The latest slew of Cespedes' hit pieces have come as a result of the fact that he had told the media upon arriving at Port St. Lucie that he didn't want to talk to them. Which, Shocker. if you are in his position, and I said this about Matt Harvey at the time, I've said it about Noah Syndergaard, I've said it about like countless other Mets players that the media has trashed during their time in New York for no reason. Like, can you blame him for not wanting to talk to the media? No. But anyhow... That caused the media to double down, obviously, and continue to write ridiculous hit pieces about him. And in one of them, I was reading, of course, take it with a grain of salt. It's even worse than, like, the Post. It's WFAN. But the <laughs> the writer made a point to, again, mention his salary and, and calling him spoiled and, you know, entitled, which were actual words he used. Um, he mentioned his salary again, as they always mention, and he didn't mention the resettlement at all. And clearly on purpose, because like, he's not actually making $29 million this year. He's making six. (laughs) Yeah. All of a sudden that argument is a lot harder to stand behind. Hmm. Like it's just, and yeah, so I mean, almost like it has nothing to do with money at all. Fascinating. What could it be? What could it be? So the the most (sighs) egregious, And I made a tweet about this, and my Twitter mentions are, like, a trash fire right now, folks. Don't tweet about Cespedes, because apparently folks have takes. Um, But, yeah, I I tweeted a screen cap of what I thought was, like, one of the more offensive (laughs) snippets of these hit pieces from who else than Kevin Kernan. He's been one of the worst perpetrators. It's basically been him, Sherman, and Martino have been, like, the worst Well, and he calls, but he no longer covers the Mets. That's true. That's true. Um, Have been, like, the worst perpetrators of this stuff. Like, like Sherman was the one who wrote the hat backwards thing. Andy Martino was the one who constantly, like, called Cespedes, like, lazy and... And called him quixotic at one point, which is like... Yeah, he oh, got oh. out his thesaurus on that oh, one. Geez. Basically a Mad Libs of thinly veiled racism. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Kernan... Kernan has literally made tweets in the past about, like, every time, like, Cespedes didn't ra- run out of ground ball, he would tweet something like, I know who has a column next week. Like, he literally salivates at writing this shit. Anyway... Um, so he, in his latest hit piece, which people were like, oh, it was a pretty positive article. I was like, did you read it beyond the, the like headline, which seemed positive? There was so much thinly veiled contempt in there. Like, so here's the sentence that caught my eye. Yet Cespedes preferred to play the part of a rancher, but baseball is his meal ticket. But every time a contract is about to expire, Cespedes hears a bell, a reminder again, he is a baseball player. (laughs) Those are certainly words that you've put in a fucking sentence together. First of all, other than it just being a completely like nonsense word salad, like there's just so much here to unpack, like implying that, (coughs) implying like that he's, that he's only motivated to come back to the field because it's his contract year for one. Second of all, that he's playing the part of a rancher. He owns a ranch. Therefore he is a rancher. Like the fact that well, like not players... only does he own it, but he works on it. Like that's that's his and life. why he lost that's all that money been... in the resettling because he's working on his ranch. Like and I feel like that's always been something that's been known about him as well. That he's always had this love of ranching in addition to loving baseball. In fact, I feel like I don't, and this might like pee some people off, but like he wants to be a rancher like that's his goal in life I mean that's like he's got thoughts beyond baseball which I think is great personally yeah exactly. we, we, 
we, we see so many people, players kind of kind of become like listless and directionless after they retire. Um, but obviously, I he's not. The important so, some players are afforded the privilege of of a a hobby seen as something quirky or interesting about them. You know, Madison Bumgarner is like is like dirt bike riding and what's the other thing oh I, my secret brain just rodeos. went totally blank oh rodeos yeah, secret, rodeos secret rodeos and literally like oh mad bum what a card lols and like that's fine but why isn't that personality allowed of players who are less american yeah less like and, all and, american and, shiny around the edges just that like glowing i'll say it i'll say it man on campus yeah it's it's really that's the that's the thing is that madison bumgarner is the right kind of player to go out and wants and have it be cool and funny and cespedes has to play by a different set of rules and he has so far not been willing to do that and that's why we love him that's what makes him amazing that he's like no screw you i am quirky i'll have my quirky (laughs) <laughs> my quirky hobby you can't take that away from me ranching to me even isn't even a quirk it's like an actual productive difficult challenging job whereas like like this whole the whole thing with madison bumgarner has been taking me off because it's just that's a legitimate like leisure activity that's dangerous to his career and his contract and ranching is i don't know not is is an actual occupation, you know what I mean? Other and than everybody like, wild forgets boars, I guess. that Bumpgarner already was out because of the ATV accident. So of stupidity. Yeah, so he he's being <gasps> reckless just to be reckless, and it has cost him. And yet it's like, oh, that's just Mad Bum being Mad Bum. Oh, funny yeah. guy. Like when I pointed no. out this double standard on Twitter, my replies were full of ooh. It, Obviously, it's because Cespedes injured himself while doing it. I was like, Madison Bumgarner, like, like flew off a cliff riding dirt bikes. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, That's my okay, God. Though. That's okay, though, because That's he's cool. won World Series championship. So oh, the- yeah, that's the other one. It's like, oh, well, when Cespedes is an MVP, he can whatever. And it's like, that's, like, that's not how like- this works. Yeah, I don't like Jacob DeGrom skydiving. World Series in 2015. That's not anything, you know. That's That's not anything. That doesn't count. Yes, it's like, ah, yes. Thank you you for explaining to me. I was asleep the entire 2010s. I was unaware that Madison Bumgarner's won three World Series. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for explaining. Um, But, like, does that mean Mike Trout can just do whatever the hell he wants because he's never won a World Series? I guess. (laughs) Or, like... Or, you know, or, uh, who, yeah, I guess since Madison Bumgarner won a World Series, that means he can go swimming with sharks, go bungee jumping, go go riding on a bull. Isn't it a bull? It's not even a horse. Yeah, I don't know. God, I think you're right. Ugh. Like, it's a bull. <laughs> I remember, this, I just right remember one of the things I read specified that he was doing the roping with his other hand. Oh, and okay. like, oh, oh well, okay. Okay, that makes sure. it all better. Fine. I mean, whatever. Like, the other, the thing about this that just, like, ticks me off above all else is, like, that it's just 
again, this is all goes back to the like commodification of players and the re- yeah. and like the dehumanization of them. Like you're reducing them to this one dimensional idea of like you are baseball player, you are not a human, you are not a human being with complexities and like facets to you. You are just baseball player, and that is your only value to society. Like, like that's I just bullshit. It. It's bullshit. You're here for my entertainment. But, like, like, you know, you are paying them a lot of money, so I get why you don't want them taking, like, risks, unnecessary risks. But being a rancher is not an unnecessary risk. Yeah. Like... Yeah, that's the whole... Like, to me, there's a major difference between ranching and between rodeo and motor motorcycle biking oh my god wow that's a that's a sentence i would like to take back right there um motorcycling or atv or whatever Bumgarner was doing i don't know like there's, i know the vets had an issue when dickie wanted to what climb everest yeah yeah they did kilimanjaro oh yes. kilimanjaro okay <laughs> a, little, a little different than everest <laughs> But I can see that being, you know, kind of dangerous, too. But there's still a big difference between that and ranching. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And, like... And, like, obviously... Obviously, he violated the terms of his contract. Or else... Yeah. They wouldn't have restructured it. Or negotiate it down. Like, that was, you know, the, the, um, the, the union would have stepped in. Like, that was... It's pretty clear that, you know, letter of the law that he violated those terms... Um, but you know what? He's literally paid the price. He's figuratively paid the price with freaking surgery on busted up ankles. Like he did his time for that. Let him join this baseball team again. Let him be kind of that presence that was so wonderful for this team. Let him do that. And he ate his ass off to get back. He is. Right. Yeah. No, he's lazy and unmotivated, but Jed Lowry is gritty and a fighter. I oh suppose. my god. Uh, he exists. He exists. He's playing. <laughs> he's playing in a knee brace and like they're talking about how like he just needs to get used to playing in the knee brace yada yada. And so it seems like and Joanna Cespedes like he actually did end up speaking to the media eventually and clarified what he meant essentially by saying like I'll talk to you guys about, like, my process of getting back and looking to the future. I'm just not going to talk about the accident, so don't ask me about it. Which is a perfectly reasonable stance to take. But yeah, it seems like Joanna Cespedes is, like, going to be ready for opening day, at least. So he claims. He, at, this was, like, a couple of days ago. He said he was about 80% running and 90% fielding. And it's clear that he can, like, mash taters, at least in BP, oh. as usual. So, like, it seems like he's going to get into games by, like, mid-March or so and, like, if that's enough time to get ready, who knows? He probably he might be a step or two slow or behind everybody else to start the year, but he he intends to be ready for opening day. Is the implication there? I am and he looks great. Ass off to yes. get back. Yes. I am so stupidly excited for Yo Dongs. I know. I just want if he hits anything less than forty dongs this year, I'm going to be disappointed. I just want him <laughs> to silence the haters so yes. much. Like, oh, just... I feed off of it. To constantly question the motivation of a dude who defected from his home country to play baseball is just infuriating. Like, you are a piece of shit. <laughs> stop stop using this, this, like, racist coded language every chance you get. Like, it won't kill you to, like, be a little less racist. 
It just reminds me of when everybody was giving him hell for that ridiculous, and I do mean ridiculous in a good way, that ridiculous car collection. Yeah. And he was taking all of this shit, and he finally said in an interview, he's like, well, in Cuba, I wasn't allowed to have a car. Yeah. And, everyone's, and, and of course, like, nobody was actually appropriately, you know, humbled by that. No one actually acknowledged that they had screwed up big time when they you know, questioned his seriousness or his focus because of cars. But like, that was it. That's, that's why you don't make assumptions about somebody's worth based on these like race coded surface level things like lazy or, you know, greedy when it's, there's so much more depth and of understanding when you just talk to the person and listen to what they have to say and take them for who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think no one appreciates the American dream more than he does, but he apparently mm-hmm. can't wear a cowboy hat without someone saying he's playing the part because he's brown. Like, mm-hmm. fuck you. <laughs> the worst. Anyway. <laughs> I think we can move on. I've done enough screaming about that, but it, it's it's infuriating. It makes me mad. It makes me really mad. But Seth me so mad too. Silence them by by doing well, and I want nothing more than that. Um, I guess I suppose the last like Mets storyline before we move on is um, there was an article today um, in the Post, and this might just be like artificial, oh, like inflating of the spring training competition for rotation spots, as usually happens. But take it for what you will. Um, they basically, there was an article in the post about how like Mats and Waka are battling for the fifth rotation spot without like even really mentioning Porcello, just like assuming that Rick Porcello is like the fourth starter now because of reasons. I don't, like, I don't know. I don't you like, has he earned it? I don't. Cy Young award winning. Yeah. Former Cy Young award winner, Rick Porcello. I guess that one inning the other day really put him over the edge. That that sealed the deal. And I also like the title, Mets thinking way outside the box for final rotation spot. Like, I was like, huh, I wonder what the way outside the box means. Oh, Mats and Waka are battling for it. Like, <laughs> well, they were also saying they would do matchups, like maybe have Gizelman be an opener oh, and then Lord. like have one of them pitch afterwards. And so there was more to it. But then, of course, Waka said he was promised a spot when they signed him. I was like, of Which course. that, I believe, oh, in a heartbeat. Jesus, the Mets have to stop doing that. Like, it's Devin Mesoraco all over again. Happy retirement, Michael Waka. <laughs> I, was, I was just so baffled when I read that, like, Mats was competing for a spot. I was like, wait, what? I mean, he his ERA was, like, rough. Like, I shouldn't even say rough. I mean, I'm looking at, at his, his B-Ref page right now. It was 421, but, like... He started 32 games. He pitched 160 innings. He had over 150 strikeouts. I mean... He was better in the second half. He was better in the second half. Like, I don't... But I don't think he merited, like, being pushed into this competition for a fifth spot. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, they've been trying this nonsense with with Matt's for... I feel like every season now, they're like, well, you know, maybe we like Matt's better out of the bullpen. And, like... Every year, he just is like a quietly above average pitcher and has now been healthy for what two straight seasons? Like, yeah, it's just a, it's such a weird fixation to have. Like, and stop trying to get the young lefty out of your rotation. Jeez. Yeah, 
And like Matt's home and road splits were really bad. Like he was, but he was really, really good at home. So I don't know how you can just push well, that his, aside. And his road splits were are heavily um are heavily skewed by that one nightmare start in Philly, which like yeah. you know you can't pretend that that didn't happen. But when you're looking at a at a subset of a sample like a split like that, it's just going to have a much bigger impact overall than if you're just looking at the season numbers. Right. But like, I don't know it's just it. Every other team in baseball would love to have him in their yeah. rotation. And like, I don't understand the Mets obsession with trying to get him out. Yeah. I just love how, like, this is just the usual usual Mets shit. Like, we're going to promise the veteran things, and then we're going to continue to, like, fuck with our young guy because we feel like it. Like, that's just, like, that's that's very extremely Mets. Extremely Because you're paying the veteran guy money. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, and, and the, it was, like, the article even said, like, the Mets see Rick Porcello as a, as a starting pitcher with little relief utility. Like, then why'd you sign him? And yeah, you, I would say those I, two things are not necessarily related. Ha- not having utility in the bullpen and being a starter. I don't think he is either of those things. Right. Well, see, I'm going to see I'm going to have a soft spot for Porcello all season long just because a he's a Jersey guy. B he's uh, went to Seton Hall prep and um was in like the Catholic school circle. Cause I went to an all girls school that was also kind of like closely in that Catholic school circle. So it's just like, I, he knows people that I know. And I, I feel so weird saying that, but like, I have a soft spot for him. I'm going to, yeah, he's a Matt fan. So I just, I hope he finds success however he is used. If he's a starter, if he's a reliever, I want him to do, I just want him to do well. I want him to like do better than people are saying that he is right now. Oh yeah. Which I mean, which I mean like, cause I know, I know he's not his, I can, cannot for the life of me remember the year he won the Cy Young. I know he won it. I can't, I like, I can't remember what year, but I know he's not that pitcher anymore, but I don't, I think he can be better than what people are saying he's going to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I want, I mean, like, I'm rooting for him. Like, I want nothing but success for Rick Porcello. If Rick Porcello succeeds, the team is a lot better. Um, Yeah. It's just odd how they, like, completely, like, kicked Steven Matz to the curb and penciled Porcello as the fourth starter. Like what? Yeah, the the Mets are doing the Mets front office is doing Mets front office nonsense. That's yep. not good. usual Mets shit. But you know, if if all six of these pitchers are healthy and effective, then that bodes well for the season for certain. Yeah, yeah. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Anyhow, um, we will now transition to the second half of the show, um, which will be a book discussion. Um, so we um, all in the intervening since since last podcast um, read <laughs> varying amounts of <laughs> Baseball Maverick. Um, either some of us had read it before, some of us were reading it for the first time. Um, but yeah, uh, Baseball Maverick. I'm going to grab my copy. I have it right here. Um, Baseball Maverick. We read different versions. <laughs> yeah, we also sometimes read different versions. Um, because the book, for those of you who don't know, so Baseball Maverick is a book uh, by Steve Ketman about um, Sandy Alderson's tenure as general manager of the Mets. And the book was first written in 2014. And obviously, right the year after 2014 it was a pretty big year uh, for the Mets and for Sandy Alderson. Uh, so uh, the book like had an addendum added to it, and then a new edition was released to include details from the 2015 season. So Kellyanne what is missing it, that what, bit. What happened in 2015? I don't know. <laughs> you, you missed the ending. You missed the best part. <laughs> no, the middle spoilers. was pretty good, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so if you, you, you know, if you don't want to know what happens in 2015 and you're spoiler conscious, feel free to skip this segment. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, so yeah, so. to walk off the show right now. Oh, goodness. It was, uh, it was a really, um, it was a really fun read. Um, and it's, it's, uh, like, a lot of it, it's, it's just very interesting to read, um, with some distance between, the Sandy Alderson tenure and the present. Um, so it, it kind of like, for me at least, served as like more of a reflection on the Sandy Alderson era. Um, so what did you guys think? Like, how do you think that reading this book now in the lens of like Brody Van Wagenen era Mets and like post-2015 Mets, um, how do you think that that changes your perception of the Sandy Alderson era Mets? For me, it was, I think I first read it after it came out. And reading it then was a lot more enjoyable than reading it now. Because now I know the ending and it's <laughs> yeah. not good. <laughs> so, like, I know how David Wright's career ends up. I know how... Matt Harvey's career ends up. I know Cespedes doesn't go the way we want. So I kind of miss that feeling reading that book and having that that hope and that excitement from that that era of all of them coming up. And, you know, also just reliving that, saying, like, oh, no, we have, like, Noah Syndergaard's whole career in front of us now. We have Jacob deGrom's whole career in front of us now. We have Zach Wheeler. We have Matt Harvey. Um, and they're going to be good forever and it's going to be great and we're going to win a championship and you know now we didn't get our happy ending and it's kind of it kind of makes me sad but at the same time there were like little nuances to it too like talking about Robinson Cano and how Sandy really wanted to sign him and um, 
but I think like the money just he he was like I knew I would never I would never be able to match what he got and now here's Cano like years later now we have Robinson Cano so like that was kind of funny to reread and another thing that also was kind of funny to reread now was um when Jacob deGrom came up in 2014 and he's started getting elbow soreness so he went he was in the hospital and sandy um was in the neighborhood or lived in the neighborhood so he decided to visit him in the hospital and in the next room over was jeremy hefner who just got diagnosed and needing a second tommy john and like in the book he wrote he found two pictures of careers were going in opposite directions and now here they both are again. There's Jacob DeGrom with two Cy Youngs and now Jeremy Hefner's his coach. So it's yeah. like, you know, it's little things like that too that's kind of fun to pick up on. But um, I, I had a lot better time reading it right after the 2015 season that I did now. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is sad. They're like, it's hard to kind of like separate the ending now from what was. Yeah. I think what I found really interesting thinking about where the Mets are now is what I always found the most interesting about the book um, was all of the biographical background on Sandy Alderson. Because, like, he had an atypical experience in life, like, and, like, kind of sought out a lot of it himself. Like, I think my one of my favorite anecdotes is it's he's on vacation in college and what he decides to do in college is go visit his dad. Sure. Who wouldn't visit, want to visit their dad during college? Well, his dad is deployed in Vietnam. So he just like flies into Vietnam, like, you know, saunters over to where his dad, and like, that's how he spends spring break. Like he doesn't go to Cabo. He goes to Nam. Um, and it's just like, sets up this real sense of like, who he is like what is the the mindset behind this guy and like you know what brings him into it's funny he almost like falls into baseball like he was a lawyer at the time it was very like like a lot of happenstance in a way but he was also just found that he was incredibly good at it um and so it's it's an interesting read just to understand like where you know, how, who he is, like his personality and like how his life brought him to baseball and like how thinking about how all of that impacted who he was and, and how he, you know, carried himself when he was in Queens. But then to think about Brody who like, I mean, granted, you know, there is no, there is no, uh, biography authorized biography of Brody and Wagonen to try to understand similarly but like he's so opaque and he's got this very like this very polished costumey exterior of like and like he's he, he if you saw him on the street you'd be like oh that guy's a sports agent like there's no yeah. he's like Jerry Maguire before he has the the like clarity of mind moments um and that's I don't know it, it's and it just makes just the way kind of understanding who Sandy Alderson is cast some light on how he how he carried himself in this role. It, the, the, it makes you think about who Brody is and, and how he carries himself. And it's a, a really interesting contrast. That was that that popped out to me. Yeah, I'm I also agree. Kind of yeah, that popped out. 
and yeah, hentai to me as well. Piggybacking <laughs> off of that, like Sandy to the media came off like kind of like cool and like he would come out with like some one liners and whatever. But in the book, he's like screaming at umpires and like screaming at who oh, I forget who the pitcher was that he was like, throw a fucking fastball. And like he had this intense competitiveness to him. And like it was something that I didn't expect. And I just I don't like we know Brody threw a chair. Well, but... I, I just remember the anecdote from the 2015 NL. Oh, my God. Wow. Sorry. Hang on. NLDS against the Dodgers after the whole Tahada Utley situation. He was pacing and Alderson was pacing, but like he was also overheard screaming at, was it the umpire or was it Joe? I think it was Tori. He was pacing. It was either Tori or the umpires, but like they heard him like literally screaming at, at him. And I was like, Whoa, like there was this fire, like Sandy cared. Like, that's what Sandy I tell me, too, is Sandy cares. Sandy and- loves baseball. Sandy cared. And he he cared deeply about this. And that's what I got from this book. And I also, what um I picked up from this, because actually this is the first time I read this. I read this, like, kind of in bits and pieces. And this is the first time I read it in full. And I have the version without the 2015 addendum. Um, but, but my whole thing was like, there was this whole thing of like, there was the Wilpons were somehow holding Sandy back. It wasn't like specific, specifically said, but like, I felt like, oh my God, what would Sandy Alderson be like if the, t- the Mets had better owners that were willing to invest more from top to bottom, um, that were invested in more progressive um, technologies, more pro- uh, progressive um, st- statistics and mm-hmm. methods of, of, of health and just so many different, just different things that I think Sandy tried to employ, but was also held back from implementing because of Fred and Jeff Wilpon. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that, they specifically – reference in the book at the beat like when he came on um to to be gm of the mets he obviously was aware of the madoff uh the madoff ponzi scheme and the fallout of that and the fact that the team's finances would be impacted but he wasn't aware just how much and like Mm -hmm. they had called it in the book like cut him coming in to manage this like the to manage the like big market mets they called it money ball with money but yeah. then it wasn't with money. No. And so, yeah, it's clear that that you, you're you left to wonder, like, what he could have achieved if he had been able to run up the payrolls that someone like Omar and Aya was able to um, during his time with the Mets, what Sandy Alderson could have achieved. And, yeah, like, the contrast, uh, what Maggie said struck me as well, the contrast between... Sandy Alderson and Brody Van Wagenen in this book is like, well, obviously Brody Van Wagenen is in the book, but it's just so stark because like, I think a lot about the parts of the book where they talk about how he used to wear like shorts all the time and Mm -hmm. how like Billy Bean during his time with the A's, how Billy Bean like didn't realize like that dude's from Harvard. Like what? Like he didn't have, I think Billy Bean called it something like, like bow tie stuffiness of like the, 
of like other general managers of that era. Like Sandy Alderson was a very different kind of guy, a more laid back, more California vibes with his shorts and everything. And you just think about like Brody Van Wagenen's like used car salesman, <laughs> sports agent look and how it's so completely different. Um, and how like Sandy Alderson's like wry sense of humor is so completely different from Brody Van Wagenen's demeanor. And, and yeah. his sense of humor was so, I think, underappreciated yes. when he was here. Like he would make so many like very dry quips to the media that were just passed over. But what I, Outfield like, is an all time classic. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> so good. <laughs> the other thing this book made me like really wish and hope for and I mean I guess it's still possible but I highly doubt it is I would love to see Sandy Alderson as the commissioner of baseball like especially with Rob Manfred right now and how he's handling the Astros and how he's kind of just treated baseball on the whole it's it's not I don't get a sense of of love of the game from Rob Manfred or like a sense of (laughs) <laughs> like especially with the, the 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 World Series quote about the World Series, I think rings just like being a piece of metal, and it's just like that's such a disservice to to the work that these players put in for a hundred no not one hundred sixty two games. Listen to me, like two hundred plus games, like counting spring training, counting playoffs, and God knows what they do in the off season. That's just such that was such a disservice to them, and so I don't know. I just. I got Sandy's love of baseball from this book that he really does love this game. He thinks about this game in a very intellectual and atypical way from, I think most people, but it's, it's clear that he loves the game. That, that that's, that's my thing that I like got the most, the, the most, the biggest thing I picked up, I think was that he really does love this game. He's not going to always show it and he's not, and he's probably not going to show it in the way that people expect, but he really loves this game and he cares about this game. Well, and it's also the little things too. Like he knew, I guess, I mean, he had to have known that he wasn't going to have money to spend. So I think it was after, I can't remember what season or what before one season, um, he sat down like Curtis Granderson, David Wright, um, a couple of the other veterans to see what the deal was with offense at City Field and why they couldn't score at home. So he he sat down with them and like took them out to dinner and was like, "Can I have your thoughts?" And they're like, "Well, I think we could flip like when we eat because if we eat too late, then it kind of throws us off." So, like the, the he ended up implementing some of their suggestions, and so it was you know like even little things you could do to get better like that mm-hmm. instead of always like, you know, making the free agent signing, like you had to kind of look at even the, the see the forest for the trees basically. And he, he, he listened to the players. That yeah. was, and that was clear. I mean, like he, the night of the, the floor is non-trade lost in that was that Wheeler like specifically called him and said, I don't want to be traded. So, I mean, and and Sandy could have just, like, thrown that, like, let that slide and uh, go in one ear and out the other. But he he didn't. So, I don't know. I just, I miss, I won't lie, I miss Sandy Alderson as general manager. He seemed to sort of uh, cross generations, really. Like, he Mm. came kind of at the tail end of these, like, scruffy, old-timey baseball dudes 
but and you know and was followed by this generation of like the Ivy League like tr- like moneyball um spreadsheet sort of types but he and he has the Ivy League background like he went to Harvard but it wasn't he wasn't there for finance like he's not coming from um from a background of like big business uh, and it, and it's really interesting. It, I think that's partly why he doesn't seem to have a lot of comparisons in the game. Like, there's not a lot of, you don't hear anybody as like the new Sandy Alderson. You know, he he fit in this kind of very narrow little sliver of baseball history. I think. Well, and mm. I think we've talked about it on the pod before about every single like, Mets PR disaster. <laughs> we always wonder. Would this happen if Sandy was still there? Because he just seemed like he would not take that or nip it in the bud and be like, we can't have this. I don't know if that's like his Marine background or, but Brody just doesn't seem equipped like Sandy was to handle some of these (laughs) disasters that end up blowing up bigger than they should have. If there was somebody with that kind of take charge frame of mind saying we gotta you know just nip this in the bud don't let it blow up to spectacular proportions don't add to it by throwing a chair Mm -hmm. and so it can make it it makes me miss sandy too because you you do wonder just how how different things would be under him now that struck me also i think um, I think it becomes apparent when reading this book that another underappreciated thing about Sandy Alderson is how much he seemed to be keeping a lid on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and once he was gone, the like the like lol Mets just like escaped out into the ether, and he was the one that was like kind of tampering the whole thing down the whole time. Like he was the adult in the room the whole time. <laughs> yeah. You don't appreciate how much that's true until you have some, you know, some hindsight into the whole thing now. Um, so yeah, and I he was not a saint, that. to be fair. No, you know, he, no, he was. He certainly like he went went and acquired um, Jose Reyes, yeah. among yeah. other things. Um, like you know, he's he's still part of the system that is ultimately kind of a messed up system, um, and he carried water for the Wilpons throughout. He had every opportunity to kind of call them out on their BS. And like, you know, yes, they did kind of stick him with a raw deal, but also he stuck around for it. Um, I think he he signed at least one additional like contract extension while he was with them. So like, you know, I think it's, it gets easy to, to remember all the good stuff, but I do just want to be clear that like, he had plenty of his own warts um, and not giving him a pass on, especially the Reyes thing. Like that yeah. was really, uh, I know it was Reyes, maybe not and, his idea, but he did it. And I mean, Reyes and, and, and Familia. And I mean, there were other like mistakes you could say he made with like trades. Like you could argue about the Cespedes trade with Fulmer and Luis Sessa. Um, um, and uh, who's the other one? You could argue about Michael Kadire. Um, I feel like there's another one I'm forgetting. Well, well yeah. all the um, all of his like outfield moves. It was always that one outfield. They're like, oh, like first it was John Mayberry, then it was Deaza. 
And then, like, there was Chris Young. and there Chris was Young, Chris yeah. Young for, like, a brief time. So, I mean, obviously, like, obviously, he's he's not a perfect general manager, no. But just, like, comparing him to what we have now is yeah. just... And also the near misses, too. Like, I think he originally wanted Dylan Bundy yep. for... For R.A. Dickey, I think he first wanted to trade him to the Orioles. Yep, he almost he almost traded R.A. Dickey to the Orioles for Dylan Bundy instead of yes, Noah Birdland and Travis Darno, which would have been. I mean, I you know I'm 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 Birdland. I I love me some Dylan Bundy, but that would have been an unmitigated disaster. Like Dylan Bundy is yeah. not half the pitcher Noah Syndergaard is. Like he's he's fine. Like he's you know like Dylan Bundy is a major league pitcher and would have been a solid like back end starter, but he's not Noah Syndergaard. And this is a great book is... for wild trade proposal ideas. Yes. yes. Like I don't know if it's standard practice. Like I'm not a GM, but the Rangers thought they had a deal for Beltran, and then all of a sudden he's getting traded to the Giants, and they're like, "What?" Yep, that was funny. <laughs> So I don't know if that was kind of like a dick move on Sandy's part or if that's just standard practice as a GM. I don't know. It could but be both. That would have been a wild one, too. I, I think I'm with Maggie on that one. I think it's both. I think it's both a dick move, but it's also standard practice. I think the standard practice is that GMs are generally dicks. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I mean, you can't. You have to be. You can't yeah. really be a GM without being like, a little bit of Especially a in in higher in bigger big market cities like New York or LA. You cut you, you like Is ha- New York a big market city? That's nice to me. No, actually no mar- mar- New York's a mid market or like a okay. small market. Who are we kidding? Especially the Mets. The Queens <laughs> the is a small market. Team. Goodness gracious. Um no, but just there's an added element being in in a big city, I think, that you kind of, like, a, the general manager is going to have to adopt or have a facet of their personality kind of be an asshole, in a sense. Yep. I don't want to say asshole, that's not, like, the right word, but you, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Well, you have that many more people who are expecting you to please them. And mm-hmm. so that's that many more people that you are just not going to be able to please all the time. Yeah. So you kind of have to be like, you know, well, sorry, kids. Yeah. Not, not going to, to, to let it roll Disney. off your shoulders. Yeah. <sighs> uh, side note, this is like random, but I really liked the story of um, <laughs> just because it tickled me of the like the Yankees four game sweep saving Ike Davis and Ruben Tejada from being demoted. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Oh, and also to be fair, bringing up Ike Davis too, he made the right decision on the Dickie Duda, the Davis Duda conundrum. Yes, he sure did. So exit velocity. Yes, he did use exit velocity. Yep. That's the one. And everybody said it at the time that Duda would have been, I think, uh, when I and I wait, I'm sorry. Let me let me qualify that. When I say everybody, I mean the general tenor on Amazing Avenue at the time, because that was the time that I had just like joined in 2014, I think, or 15. That happened. Um, the general tenor was that that was the correct decision. That Davis wasn't gonna be, um, wasn't gonna pan out. 
that dude had a lot more potential. That dude's exit velocity was off the bat was great, even if it wasn't like translating just yet. So, yeah. Yeah. That was the the general tenor on amazing the amazing avenue commenting board at the time, and he made the right decision between right and Reyes too. (laughs) Sure did, but you know he brought Reyes back. But yeah, but at the time it was the crisis. We'll qualify that with at the time because he brought it back in 2016. Oh my god! But. Yeah, so, you know, I enjoyed this book. Uh, I didn't get through all of it, but I'm close to being done with it, and I will finish it very shortly. The 2015 um, stuff is fun to read. Yeah, even I bet it is. It, it, it is fun to, you know, relive that. And just now, too, like, just looking back on that time, and like I said, you know, you kind of thought they were set up for success success for a while and I don't know if we have an equivalent of that right now like we have Pete and Conforto but there's nobody like really in the pipeline saying like okay here we go when they come up we're gonna really take off and we're gonna take this thing and you know I kind of miss having that excitement and that hope and it's like basically what we see is what we get right now and we just have to hope what we have is is good enough I mean there will never be another stretch of calling up the next pitcher from the minors, like the Mets had for those years. Like that was just, and I say, I have trouble thinking any team will have that. Like they just over a period of what, three years, they called up five megastar pitchers. I mean, not, not all of them turned into megastars, but like it certainly seemed at the time, like, that well was never going to run dry. Yeah, and they I mean, all, like, hit the ground running and were good immediately. Like, yeah. Even though their careers have taken various twists and turns since then, either due to, like, them maxing out their potential or due to injury, in the case of Matt Harvey especially. Um, but, like, every single one of them was at least pretty good immediately. Yeah, they if not really great, were. great in the case of Harvey. <laughs> Yeah, so. and there was Jacob DeGrelle, who was kind of like the bonus. Yeah. Nobody expected that. It was like, hey, look, we got another one. Who knew? Well, like a freebie. <laughs> yeah. I found I found this, I mean, like, yeah, like Linda said, it does put a little bit of a damper on it when you think about, like, how things have panned out and how the, it didn't, like, put the Mets on the fast track to a prolonged era of success, but... The fun part, and I we talked we chatted about this a little bit pre-show, but since we weren't recording, I'll say it again. Um, <laughs> the the part that I found fun about reading this personally was that like twenty two thousand nine through two thousand thirteen were the years that I was in college, um, so I like didn't watch a lot of Mets games during that period because I went to college outside of the New York media market, so I didn't have access to the Mets games, and my parents. Uh, didn't let me get MLB.TV. I resented them for that, but they were right because I probably would have flunked out of school because uh, I would have been watching <laughs> the stupid Mets all the time. Uh, allowed me to focus on my studies. But as a result, I like I really didn't watch that many Met games. I only watched them when they played the Phillies because I was in the Philadelphia media market in college. Um, so I watched the Mets-Phillies games mostly with the horrible Phillies announcers. Um, but yeah, so like getting to relive, like especially 2010 through 2013 
was like was fun for me in this book because like I mean obviously I remember the big parts of it like I remember Matt Harvey like and the and the bloody nose game and all that like how can you forget that um but like the some of the like smaller details um of that era of Mets even though there weren't like a ton of highlights to remember there were some and so looking back on that era um as someone who didn't watch a ton of wasn't like entirely steeped in it during that time was fun so well for me too I mean I don't know if everybody's read Ron Darling's book like this quote always stood out for me is um he hit when his game seven book he said that they won in spite of him and not because of him because he kind of stunk it up game seven (laughs) and um he said for him the moment was like everybody else you know thinks it of as a happy moment and for him it's bittersweet and he said i have a hard time separating the bitter from the sweet and that's kind of how i view that era now is in hindsight it is bittersweet like it was fun at the time and i missed that feeling and i had so much fun during that run and but now there is that little tinge of a bitter that i don't know that's ever going to go away because of how david wright's career turned out like that was his last shot and now we just gotta hope <laughs> maybe he gets a ring as you know in the front office or something but then won't be the same and you know I mean, I love Pete, I love JD, I love Jake, I want them to do well, but Dave was Dave, and, you know, Uh so it's just always going to be that, that little tinge of bitter to go along with the sweetness of, of those years that did bring a lot of fun and joy back to Mets baseball, and I am very thankful that that happened, and I'm very thankful to Sandy for that, because it had been so long, and, you know, 2006 was the last time. It, I mean, it was a long time. So I don't want to experience that drought again. So let's go, guys. Like, it's time. Let's get on this. So, but, you know, it, it's just a it kind of, it's, it's a double-edged sword now looking back on that period. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it is, but, like, for me, it is, I, I don't know why I can separate. I, I've always been able to separate, like, the whole 2015 series from the 2015 World Series. Yeah, so I can forget that World Series even happened. What <laughs> I World don't Series? They ended it after the NLCS. It was so weird, but, well, whatever. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but just just the journey, that whole 2015 season from the 11... I believe it was an 11 game streak. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, it was an 11 game streak in April to like the, oh my God, to the torrid May and June where they didn't have any offense. And then the return, but like they had mats come up. And then, and then the, the whole, um, this kind of jump start at the end of July. And what? And Conforto. I know. Conforto yeah. coming up and hitting the ground running, which was, oh, He's he's still he's still an underrated player too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god! I just I, I just I just so many of so many uh, are so many of the 2015 players still on the team. I'm trying to think who's still on Not the a team. A lot. Just Conforto, Degrom, Syndergaard, Matt, Familia, Cespedes. Oh, and Cespedes. Yeah, but, that, but that's is that it? <gasps> I see. 
Oh my yeah, god! Well, that might also not be. Gazelle men were 2016. Yeah, but that also. I wonder if that's all that bad. A, I mean, t- teams turn over so much nowadays that like that might be pretty normal. Yeah, but I feel like I think the reason that there's not as much bitter in the bittersweet with 2015 for me is it never felt like it was supposed to be the Mets year. Like it was, it just came out of nowhere. It was like, they were playing with house money. It was all just, it was all just free fun. It just felt so like, like let's hurry up and have this playoff run before the baseball gods realize that we're playing in their house. Like it was, it just felt very like, like, I don't know, just, just so unexpected. So, um, like unjustified in some ways it was just like i'm just gonna appreciate this while it lasts because this is wild and weird and that's I mean, what's I, great about it especially after that padres oh my god that nightmare padres game and i watched like <laughs> oh i watched that entire game rain so like, oh, oh and that that game just felt like oh my god okay they're not gonna do anything more this season this is just gonna be okay they're not. They're gonna keep losing. This is the start of of a horrible part of the season. That game was just a nightmare. It felt like the knife and the or like the nail in the coffin. Like I followed it from a meeting in my office. I, I was also I at work. I, I mean, I watched it at work. Up a storm at that umpire because I was like, "Why are you calling this right now? Oh my God! Why are you saying? Why are you saying take a charm off the field? The rain, the rain are showing rain. Oh my God! I was going, I was going nuts. I had such a week that week. I I left work early that day because I was going to the U two concert that night. So I left your work early. So I was at home, watched the end of the game, went to the U two concert. Then I had to off the next day, which was the trade deadline. So because I'm like, I'll probably be home late. So I took off from work the next day. So then I was just, you know, parked in front of my TV the whole day watching MLB Network. And then 15 minutes before the deadline, it's like, oh, my God. that's what <laughs> And then <sighs> I was at the Sunday night game that night because then the Wilmer Flores game was that night. And then I was at the game that Sunday night with Noah Syndergaard. And that in my in the entire life at City Field up to that point, I'd never seen City Field that loud. And like, you know, it was nice finally seeing some life in that stadium after it had yeah. been dormant for so long. I think I think when the Cespedes, so I was also at work during the trading deadlines. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon during the week, and I think I have this like distinct memory of. Um, when when I actually saw it flash across my screen, like on Twitter, I think I stood up so fast that I hit my head on my desk. Oh, no. I remember like being like I stood up because so, like my desk had like a like a like a shelf like on top of it, like above my head. Right. So I think I stood up so fast that I like clonked my head and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the night before I like coming home from the concert, I was on the train and I was looking at my phone. I'm like, look at all the rumors. And then the rumor at the time was Wheeler for Bruce. And I was like, no. I was like, what? that's gonna help. <laughs> I was like, why? And I remember just being like fuming on the train going home. First of all, because I was still mad about the game from that they lost to the Padres. And then Ugh. second, I'm like, what are you doing, Wheeler for Bruce? Like, it makes no sense. It's well, interesting, though. It, Jay Bruce it, shows so you, it shows you two things about Sandy Alderson's 
like frame of mind in that one is that he really wanted to go for it all that year. And like, that's why he kept going back to Wheeler because Wheeler was a non-factor because he was still recovering. So he really was like really zeroed in like, this is the year. And he was determined to, to make it go for it. Um, And that, you know, as much as he, you know, talked to Wheeler and Wheeler said, please don't trade me. And he was like, yeah, I'll try. He also then turned around and like, Tried, tried to trade him again yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like two days later and it's just I mean this it's a very like once you've read the book you're like oh yep that's Sandy like thinking outside the block uh, of the box trying to to use a potentially very valuable asset in an unusual way um but then and also like being like doing what it takes to to do the job in the moment, which was to try to get the Mets to the postseason. Yep. But see, also for me, like you were saying, they were kind of playing with house money, and that did that kind of made it that much better was because it was so unexpected. Like that made oh, yeah. it mm-hmm. so fun, and it just you know it was just like it was indescribable. But then at the same time, I bought in. I'm like, this is what being a team of destiny is like. So then when they weren't a team of destiny, it was. A little crushing. Like you we're never gonna lose. Like we're that's it. We're World Series bound. Like, you know, you had to do all the good storylines from the year. You had David Wright coming back. You had them call up Conforto. You had all these you know, you had the Wilmer Flores, you had Cespedes. It was like, Yep, we have too many good vibes. This is it. We're just give us the trophy now and that's not how it works. I'm still but be- I'm still better that it was it was the Royals in the in the series and not the Blue Jays just because oh, we would have beaten the Blue Jays. Oh, we would have we would have whipped the Blue Jays' ass. I mean, we, not, not even not even from a standpoint of beating the Blue Jays. Just from a baseball standpoint, it would have the storylines would have been so much fun. Yeah, just, you like had. Dickie. Oh my god, you had Dickie going up against Syndergaard and Darno. You had um, Matt's and oh, shame on me, who was the other Long Island pitcher? Strowman. Stro- oh, it was, it was Strowman? I was, okay, it was Strowman. Um, you had Matt's and Strowman, and wait, there was like another storyline. Oh, the, the, the great pitching against the great offense. I mean, Joey Bats. Yeah, Bautista. Great. I mean, just, uh, oh my god. I, like, I was enjoying the Blue Jays from a baseball standpoint at that point. I just think, aside from it being me just, like, loving, rooting for the Mets, I just would have enjoyed the baseball matchup just from, just enjoying it from, oh, my gosh, this is just good baseball, regardless of the teams. Yeah, the Blue Jays were way more fun. The Royals were just they annoying were. and not likable. No, not likable. The Royals were headhunting like crazy that year. I was like, Ugh! Yeah. <laughs> With Mustakis and uh, no, see now I'm getting mad. Come on. Yeah, we're gonna do walk off wins. We don't have to be mad. Okay, <laughs> okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to like do that little tangent there. No, but. you're fine. So, um, so yeah, if you haven't read the book, uh, I recommend it. It's really good. Um, Baseball Maverick by C- by Steve Katman. Um, and if you haven't read it since it came out, then you should probably give it another look in light of the 2015 edition to it. Um, yeah. So, but. We're, now we are going to end the show like we always do with walk-off wins, where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. Kellyanne Healy, what is your walk-off win? Um, mine 
Okay, so I have been, for the past couple of weeks, dealing with a lot of medical issues. I had the flu. Um, I had a seizure last week. Today was my first day back at work. Um, on my desk at work, my boss left me um, one, oh my gosh, wait, what's the book? It's by Matthew Silverman. It was a Mets book. I think it's... 100, 100 Things to Do. Yes. To like see or do year and do before you die or before something. Before you die, like if you're a Mets fan, wait, I'm gonna find the title of this book. One hundred. Someone else can go while I look this up. Because <laughs> I feel like I've I got that at work too one time. One hundred things Mets fans should know and do before they die. That was sitting on my desk this morning, um, at work, and just the wonder my wonderful story time families. I am a children's librarian and I do story time, and my the kids and the families were just so wonderful and welcoming back. Um, just the support I received during um, my recovery was amazing from my friends, from my family, and especially um, from Amazing Avenue, especially from, I would like to give a special shout out to, of course, Allison McCaig and to Brian Salvatore, who sent me this beautiful bouquet of flowers that cheered me up. I like came home from the hospital and there the, the florist was waiting at my door and it was just, it was, it just made me feel so much better. Guys, Quite. in case you... In case you doubt that we love each other in real life, we really do. We do. Yes. We're so very that... happy you're feeling better, too. Yay. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That is my walk-off win. <laughs> Maggie Wigan, what is your walk-off win? Um, so, very medical adjacent. Uh, this is... <laughs> I kind of went back and forth on um, on whether this could reasonably be a walk-off win, but I decided that, yes, it is. So, um, so my son who's five, um, was sick, was pretty sick last week. And it, you know, it's not an unusual type of sickness for a small child, which is like maybe flu or something similar and, uh, with a high fever and he, his fever spiked on Thursday and I called his pediatrician who had already seen him earlier in the week. And she sort of was like, gently laying the groundwork of like it's time to take him to the emergency room um which I was not like I was not really looking forward to it at all but I did know that our local pediatric ER is supposed to be really good and that's where the walk-off win part comes because our local pediatric ER was absolutely amazing. Um, so just for, for anyone wondering, it's the Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital on 165th Street and Broadway and their pediatric emergency department. And they just like, they just, you know, you, you usually get to the ER and they're there for hours and hours and hours. We were in and out in under two hours. They, um, wow. they didn't keep us waiting for more than 10 or 15 minutes at any time. Um, there was, there was a, a volunteer going around asking what they could bring to make us more comfortable, like some toys, some water. Um, and it was just, it was a really like comforting experience when we needed it the most. So um, just wanted to give a big shout out to, uh, to Dr. Amato and the whole crew at Morgan Stanley because you know we we needed you and you were there and that is a wonderful thing and I do have to make a side note is that um the the billionaire name plastered across 
the Morgan Stanley pediatric ER is Steve Cohen. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought that was very interesting. But yes, yeah, so um, so that's my walk off win. Thank you, Morgan Stanley Children's ER, for taking care of my kiddo who is who is made a full recovery and um, actually, I mean, they they caught his ear infection immediately and like they gave him a giant dose of antibiotics immediately and then you know prescription for later so like they really like not only did they make us feel good and cared for is they actually like the medical stuff they they nailed also so yeah thank so you. excellent that's so excellent i'm so happy to hear that maggie yeah that's really good i mean when your family member is sick the last thing you need is any additional stress so yeah, yeah. for sure linda what is your walk-off win for this week um my walk off win is completely different um but it's the return of real life baseball Yay! Like actual baseball like okay the crack it's not of the real bat. baseball it's kind of still fake baseball but it's it's the bat it's the ball it's people running around the bases and you know it's it makes me happy i don't like i said in the beginning of the show um, I'm still very competitive. Like, oh, Matt's gave up a run already. Oh my God! And what was he's in midseason form. <laughs> like, yes, okay. I take it a little too seriously, but um, I'm just, you know, it's 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 been a strange, long off season, and to actually just, you know, like this feels normal now. Like it's this mostly the same game, no matter how many times Rob Manfred wants to change it. Um, and, you know, just it's kind of like putting on an old, like, comfortable shoe. Like, okay, this is it. We were, like, all's right with the world again. Baseball is back on my TV. And, you know, they said it last season. And, they, they, like, you could even tell. And um, they've been talking about it again so far. It's just how much all these dudes like each other. And... How much fun they're having. Like today, Jacob deGrom was like talking trash as he was blowing everybody away on the mound. And it was like they're good hitters too. It was like Nimmo, Alonzo, Cano, and like how he told Cespedes the other day. Like Cespedes is like, take it easy on me. I haven't seen hitting, I haven't seen pitching in two years. And he was like, I saw you hit a rocket. I'm not going to let you do that to me. Like they're just having fun. And it's baseball, but like with no stress, which is also the good kind of baseball right now yeah so and just to see them relaxed and having fun and you know seeing all my boys again that i missed jd please get well soon jd if you guys did not hear i was gonna say see the game it was not broadcast today i'm sorry but if you did not hear jd jammed his shoulder he's going to have an mri tomorrow he doesn't think it's concerning. Yeah, I was, he's, he's like he said on the like the pain scale of like one to ten. This is like a two or a three. He said so. Okay. And the other day he, when he was being interviewed, Andres, I think it was Andres Jimenez hit a ball and he goes, oh, 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 well, after he hit it, I'm like, JD, it's me. <laughs> like yeah. that's my goal. <laughs> so yeah. It's a walk off, but it's supposed to be happy, so I'm not going to be upset about JD right now, but no, because he could be fine. But that's my walk off one: is that baseball is back on my screen. Yeah, JD Davis yeah. is Linda Cerevich's Patronus. 
He is. <laughs> and we'll have a broadcast game tomorrow. Hooray. Hooray. Um, so my walk-off win for this week um, is, I, I think I've, I might have made this, I may have made this my walk-off win in the past, but um, but because a lot of my, like it, just an outsized number by like chance, I guess, an outsized number of my really close friends from college are teachers, um, and two of them um, each uh, direct their high school plays at their respective schools. Um, so every year I see like at least two high school productions of various musicals. <laughs> God um, bless you. That's awesome. Because we always go and support, um, our friend who's directing the show. Um, so, uh, February is usually like around the time that they happen. Uh, so, uh, this past weekend, uh, was my friend Kyla, uh, who teaches at Elkton High School in Elkton, Maryland. Uh, they did Grease. Um, and so I went, uh, with all my friends and we went and we saw a high school production of Grease and it was fabulous and at times awkward and at times wonderful and just like everything you love about like random high school productions of plays just like brings you right back to like your awkward high school days. And like, I wasn't a theater kid in the sense that I like, I didn't do the musicals, but I was like theater kid adjacent in the sense that like. I was friends with all the theater kids because I was in choir. Um, so like, it just it, like these theater kids remind me a lot of me when I was in high school. So, um, so yeah, it was really fun. So we had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of fun at the show. And then afterwards um, we all like went back to the house and hung out um, and just had really nice friend time. But part of that was that we got to watch. So there's this new uh, reality TV show on Disney plus called Encore, um, which is basically a show, a reality show where they find people like 20 years later and have them put on their high school plays again. Like they find, <laughs> oh my gosh. yeah, they find like groups of adults who went to high school together and did a high school play together and have them like put the show on again. And they do like a crash, like rehearsal, like, like just like five days of rehearsals, like crash course. And they have them put on the show again. Um, so it just so happened that, and like each episode stands alone, obviously, like as its own thing. So it just so happens that there is an episode where the play is Grease. And so afterwards we like all watched the Disney plus episode of Grease, which was a, um, a high school in Hackensack, New Jersey. Uh, so it was not only was it Grease, it was also extremely New Jersey, which I appreciated. Um, (laughs) like these these people were hilarious and it was people who uh put on Greece in oh my god what year was it It was like 1990 something so they're now in their like late 40s early 50s or something like that um so they got all these people together and like had them re-put on Greece and it was fabulous and hilarious (laughs) it's just like it's one of those shows that just like kind of like Great British Bake Off or Queer Eye that just like is like really heartwarming and just like really nice it's like a warm hug to watch it um Mm. so yeah it was really fun getting to watch a high school production of Greece and then a bunch of like middle-aged people putting on a high school production of Greece (laughs) again (laughs) so it was just like a really fun evening so that that's my walk-off win this weekend I will be seeing a high school production of The Little Mermaids (laughs) oh nice (laughs) um so that's my walk-off win for this week um 
as uh, spring training is unfolding, we will be having uh, coverage of all the spring. We have game threads going up every day for all the spring training games, at least the ones that are broadcast. Um, in the meantime, oh, I have, need to talk. Them. Sorry to interrupt. We have them going up for the non-broadcast games, too. Oh, good. <laughs> Fabulous. Every day, then. Yay. Um, and I need to talk to Chris about reviving the King of Spring Training contest, which I just remembered is a thing that I need to do. Because um, that's <laughs> a thing that I, a feature of the site that I have run in the past that I should start up again. Uh, so that'll start up again soon. We've got our game threads. We've got all our news coverage, all of our analysis. We're in, we're in the midst of our season preview series. So you'll continue to get those every day for the whole roster. Um, so yeah, go to amazingavenue.com, check all of that out. Uh, you can follow the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. You can follow this show on Twitter at a pod of their own. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to Amazing Avenue Audio to get our entire suite of fantastic podcasts. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servich. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. Kellyanne, are you, uh, have you activated your Twitter? Is your Twitter still dead at this time? My Twitter is still dead. Okay. It's probably going to remain. Oops, sorry. I keep banging into my desk. It is going to remain dead, probably. Okay. So you can no longer find Kellyanne on Twitter because she's smarter than all of us and has quit uh, (laughs) the worst app on the internet. Um, But you can find her um, lopping around in the comments on Amazing Avenue. So see her out there. Yes, I am. And if you don't know my username, my username is La Roma Bella. Yeah, find her on Amazing (laughs) Avenue. Uh, She is the reason that the site has not burned to the ground yet. (laughs) So, But all the people who, like, have, you know, insulted me over the years, now you know my whole name. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm from from behind the curtain, so. No no one come for her or I'm going to come for you, so. Uh, so yeah, uh, so you can find her in the comments on Amazing Avenue. You can find the rest of us on Amazing Avenue and also on Twitter. Um, you can, you should, uh, leave us a review on iTunes once you subscribe. It really helps people find the show. Uh, the original intro and outro to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasting.